Over the years, um, uh, South Spring, when we were First Baptist um, South Campus, we've been involved with Dulo since the very beginning. The Wallaces and the Adams families, if you know them, um, really helped get that going in the first place, and we have been involved. We've had dozens of mission trips. Hundreds of us have been um, down to Harokoa and have experienced the school. Um, I've been there a bunch of times. Uh, my son went down for a summer-long um, internship. It's, it's an awesome opportunity to get involved in ministry going on down there. Um, today we have Joyce and Tim Pack, and they are the, the new Dulos Ambassadors. And so uh, you saw a little bit about what the school does. They're going to tell us a little bit more about that. Tell us what it means first that you're, an, that you're ambassadors, and then tell us whatever it is that is on your heart to share with us about the school. Yeah, we, uh, Joyce and I became empty nesters about four years ago, and maybe some of you really were looking forward to that and had a good time with that, but for us, it was really weird living in a museum that used to be Grand Central Station. And we weren't quite sure to, what to make of that or what to do with our lives, so we began to seek God in prayer, and uh, strangely enough, he took us off the dusty shelf, and he sent us off to the Dominican Republic. And we have become so um, charged and just enraptured by what God has shown us there in that wonderful place on the mountain that you have been a part of. And we want to just start our, our time with you just by thanking you for being associated and participating with that great work that we got to be a part of and that many of you have been a part of. And we want to invite some of the rest of you to get, get started with this as well. How's, what's the best way for people to get involved with what you guys are doing down on Doulos from here at the church? Yeah, the, one of our, our main emphases as we're on the road, we're going to be traveling all over the United States being ambassadors for our ministry, and we're really trying to, to raise up more sponsorship uh, support. We, 52% of our student body wouldn't otherwise afford such a wonderful uh, opportunity as the education that Dulos provides, and we believe that God raises up servant leaders from all socioeconomic classes if they have the chance and uh, we're, we're grateful that many of you are already involved in that. You're sponsoring students who wouldn't otherwise have that opportunity. And so we're trying to get more lined up. We've got about 70 students who presently don't have a sponsor. Uh, and uh, it's about $150 a month that covers the entire cost, including materials of their education. We do have a half sponsorship for those who are looking for something a little more affordable than that. But uh, just $150 to cover the cost of a wonderful education, and we're, we're seeing God doing wonderful things with these youngsters who are coming out of the poorer classes, amazing, amazing potential that might otherwise have just died on the vine. Mm -hmm. Well, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask them to pray for us as a church and our ministry, and then I'm going to pray for Dulos and for the PACs, and, uh, and then we will jump into the sermon. But if you'll take it away and pray for us sure. and what we're doing here, and, and then I'd love to pray for you guys. Absolutely. Our gracious God. Thank you. Thank you for this wonderful time this morning just to join in to these wonderful hymns. Uh, oh, precious is the flow that makes us white as snow. Thank you, Lord, that, that uh, you saw us in our despair and weakness and sin, and you plucked us out of it. Hmm. Thank you, Lord, that you saw us in our weakness and depravity, and you had compassion, and you helped us. We were helpless. Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul and for all of our soul. And Lord, if we have the heart of God beating in our chest, we also want to help. And we want to do what you would have us to do, Lord. We would pour ourselves out 
for your great namesake and for your glory. Thank you for what you have done, what you're doing, and what you will do through South Spring Church. Thank you for their great hearts for you, demonstrated in all the many ways that they serve and love you. We pray, Lord, that you would stir the hearts of those of your choosing uh, to get involved and to be a part of something that they will never regret having done, to raise up servant leaders who really can and will impact the Dominican Republic. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Father, I thank you so much for Dulos and the, and the hundreds and hundreds of students who are impacted in amazing, powerful ways um, down there in Harabakoa. God, what a, what a wonderful community to be able to impact and to then spread out into the rest of the Dominican and uh, South and Central America. And um, Lord, it's just it's amazing to see missionaries and um, godly leaders and teachers coming now up through the system who are now able to take what they've been taught and to impart it into a new generation. And um, God, it's, it's a miracle that we get to be involved in that in some small way. And I thank you for... Um, the program, the sacrifice, the willingness of people to make that happen, and, um, and especially for those students who could never, um, outside of this, afford this type of education, and instead of getting uh, either l almost no education or very limited education, and instead to get an incredibly high-quality um, education through the gospel, through the lens of the gospel, and the, and the action of discipleship, hands-on, expeditionary education, Lord, I thank you for that model. And, um, and I thank you for these students who are now going to be impacting the world. Um, in the next generations, we're going to need kids from the DR to be coming to the states as missionaries. And um, Lord, I pray that you are raising them up already now um, to begin to impact the world around them in powerful ways according to your gospel. We know that you're with us even until the ends of the age. And we thank you for that. In your son's magnificent name, we pray your blessings on all of this. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Um, if you want to learn more about Dulos or be involved or whatever, they, these guys are going to be out in the foyer between the services and after the second service. Um, we, uh, we, a few years ago, we did a, a, or a couple years ago, we did a Compassionate International Sunday. We're doing that again this year. Opportunity to sign up scholarships. This is similar to that in that you, you can take on a student or share a student um, and pay for their education to go through Dulos. And uh, we have done that. It's been a huge blessing for us to be a part of that. Um, as well to get to see this little boy grow up from just a little boy as he's continued to grow and learn. Um, and then especially since we as a church go down there and visit, we get to have dinner with them when we're down there, and, and uh, it's just an amazing time. So I'd really love to encourage you. All of us need those ministry opportunities. Um, so I was also going to comment on, um, uh, I mean, when we started at 9, there was no one here. That was, that was, it was a cold morning. Everybody had to find their window, ships, their, their window scrapers, didn't you? That was the problem. You had to like, where do we store that? Because we never have to use that here in Tyler. So um, I'm glad everybody made it here. We are going to do a little mini um, series here called The Struggle is Real. I'm going to jump back into that and explain that. We face actual hardships. Um, what we describe and why we engage with um, believers down in the Dominican Republic or in other parts of the world they face challenges and they face struggles. And, and even though ours, we sometimes mock our struggles a little bit, um, so let me, let me just tell you, this is, let me tell you what it takes a long time for me to plan a sermon sometimes, is stuff like this. I get down in the rabbit hole of questions like, what are first world problems? You got, you got a few. Um, <clears throat> and so, I don't, know if you, I don't know if you run into this one. Like These are, these are, these are truly first world problems. Wait. Did it switch? 
my grocery. That was funny. Is that between everyone? Oh, we've done that one. What's next? Okay, good. We got that one. That's a that's a real crisis, isn't it? There you go. How about this one? Anybody? Yes, yes. I hate that. I just hate this, right? This one, this is the one. This is the one though that that really got me. I got stuck. So here's the deal. The, the, the truth is that we face, we, and yes, there are a lot of things we whine and complain about that deserve to be mocked. Yes, that is, that is absolutely true. Um, that is the, that's the case. There's a lot of the reason why that's the case. The implication, though, sometimes in the Christian world or what people think that we teach in the Christian world is that we don't struggle. <clears throat> is that we've got it all together and, and we've, we don't have any problems. Our problems are, you know, that, that level of problem, you know, that, that I'm trying to hear the TV, but the chips I'm eating are too loud. Like that's the kind of crisis that we face in our lives. Um, and and, and that, that we really have this projection. And I think some of that comes from something we talked about a couple of weeks ago, which is the kind of Sunday best mentality that, that we all come here, and, and essentially church was the original social media post where everyone shows up, we pretend like we have it all together, um, it's, it's the kind of the real life version of Photoshop, um, we make sure all the kids are acting correctly um, at threat of life and limb, or we're, you know, we, we all this type of, rather than have the mindset that the church is a place where we come and we all know that we struggle and we can struggle. And that life can be really hard. And that's, the truth is, this little mini-series, The Struggle is Real, this, this health and wealth teaching, maybe part of it comes from that, that the health and wealth teaching, the version of Christianity that teaches that you're supposed to be healthy all the time, you're supposed to have everything you want, that you just name and claim whatever it is. And we, t- we joked about that a few times on the trip and we're trying to get fast passes to a different ride. I'm like, kids, you got to name it. you got to claim it. I mean, we gotta, we got to just declare that God has given us the fast pass to this ride. And it was all, we were all joking, of course, and, uh, but it was a, like this, this, this is the, mo- I think too often people in the world think that we think that we've got it all together and that we're all good and we don't struggle and, and that's absurd. It's, it is ridiculous at the extreme. If you, if your projection to the world is that as a Christian you have it all together, stop that. Don't, don't do that. That's, you're not helping the cause. That's not at all. Paul said last week, he pointed out, Jesus said, I came to save the sick. I didn't come to save the righteous. I came to save the lost. If we project ourselves as having it all together, then we have, you want, you want to, the idea of the church being irrelevant, that's irrelevant. That has no relevance in anyone's life as people who have it all together. That's, that is not the case. We struggle. We, we really do. We have, in, in this church, so being the pastor, and you, you know this in your life groups, um, in your in your classes with your friendships that we have we have all kinds of stuff going on right now in our church unemployment and infertility and bankruptcy and infidelity and and handicaps and chronic illness we have emotional problems we face changes and transitions pain grief brokenness abuse trauma shock assault death and destruction these are these are dare I say normal parts of human life. And so this is, this is reality. And when we project this, this false picture, then, then we disconnect ourselves from reality for everyone. And sadly, ourselves, in many ways, from the grace of the gospel when we project that. So here we are on the Sunday after Epiphany. 
Um, and I mentioned when we took communion this morning, if you were raised in the same type of uh, world that I was, you have no idea what epiphany is. Um, and so what epiphany, the, the, the celebration of epiphany is the feast of the recognition that Christ had, has been revealed as God incarnate. So we celebrate Christmas that he came as God incarnate. Epiphany is the fact that that was revealed to the world, not just to the Jews, not just to his family, but to the whole world. And some, some throughout Christianity celebrate that because of the, that they celebrate the wise men. It's called the Feast of the Wise Men, that the wise men showed up because they weren't Jews, but they showed up and they were given the gospel right then and there, immediately. Or when Jesus was baptized and it was revealed who he was, that God spoke from the heavens, that this is the case. It is about him coming near. He came here really powerfully, literally, historically, as the Savior of all mankind. He came to the mud and the sweat and the dirt and the blood that we experience here on earth. Our lives ought to also, in the midst of that, be really and powerfully and literally and historically changed by that. That, that should be evident. So having come back just from the capitalist journey to Mickey, to Mickey Mecca that you know, every, every good American once in their lifetime is supposed to make a hajj to Orlando and, and experience capitalism at its best, um, and it is a wonderful experience. I'll tell you what, if you ever wondered about the power of capitalism, I was like, this, this is proof. Man, we, our entertainment is better than everything else. It's unreal. Like I, would, I, 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 I don't know why I do this. I was raised by a dad who, who had this mindset, and he would, we would experience something like this, and he would go like, this is why you don't want to fight America. Like we can, do stuff, we can do stuff in the name of entertainment that the other countries could not do in their best military moment. Like it's, a, it's just shocking to go down there and watch especially two different now with Universal and Disney fighting it out like, oh yeah, we'll top you. Oh yeah, we'll top you. And we like, man, this just serves us, the consumer, doesn't it? As they're able to create more and more incredible things. And the new movement down there, if you've not been, is this concept of immersion, like complete immersion. And so when, when you know, Disney used to do that, you, you, some of you have been there, you go down the main street and you're, it's like you're in Main Street, 1950s America, but it's not immersion because then there's a giant castle down at the end of the like, well, that doesn't fit very well. And then there's a, a big tower over here and a mountain. And a, so, so Universal came along and said, okay, you, we're going we're gonna to create Hogsmeade and we're going to create Diagon Alley. And when you're there, you can't tell you're not really there. That was the goal, right? That you look around like, I can't, there's nothing that breaks the, the facade um, of this experience. And so Disney said, okay, call, raise. And so they did this Pandora. They did the, the whole Star Wars now thing. You go down there, and it's, it's crazy to experience this kind of immersion. Now, you know I'm going to come to a preachable moment here for a second. So, so he, here's the idea that I was experiencing down there, and, and as we were talking about this, is um, we, we actually get to experience, I think, this type of immersion, which I'm just going to confess to you, I'm not good at. Um, it, it is natural for me, my life is messy enough that, that it's hard for me to not turn Jesus into an aspect of my life. I don't know if anybody, the rest of you struggle with that. Like that Jesus becomes just an aspect of my life. I've got, I've got my world, my, my, my business life, and I've got my church life, and I've got my family life, and I've got my God life, and I've got, and so these are all just a big, like a big bowl of a spaghetti, and each different spaghetti noodle has its own name, and they all touch each other and all that kind of stuff. But, but what happens is it's very natural for that, for me, for there to be a spaghetti strand called God in the midst of all these other spaghetti strands versus the bowl 
that, that all of the rest of my life is immersed in this pasta bowl called my relationship with Almighty God. And everything gets put in there. That's a, and, and that, by the way, is a, that'd be a great prayer thing. For me, is that, is that I get, I, I become more and more immersed in the relationship, not the things of God. That's easy for me. I love the things of God. Um, I love studying God. I love learning about God. I love teaching about God. But then relating to God as the bowl that my life exists in does not come naturally. I don't know, but maybe that's just me. But that doesn't come naturally to me. And, and I want to be able to, I think it's part of why I like taking people to Israel and why I don't like their traditional sites. I like the sites that look like it would have looked 2,000 years ago because I get to walk into this place and go, this is, I am now immersed in the Bible. Everywhere I look, this is what it would have looked like then. And, and my imagination needs that. I don't have that great an imagination, I guess, because I, I need this physical experience to do that. And as we talk about this idea, I think sometimes as a church, as Christians, what we do is we, is we try to divide out suffering or struggle or temptation or addiction, and we try to separate that out as independent from the immersion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's, that's a mistake versus engaging fully in this. And so as we talk about suffering, I do want to take a little bit of time today and talk about, and I'm going to spend a lot of time here. The truth is, a lot of times in our, in our suffering, we are culpable. Sometimes we're part of the problem. We're part of why we face the struggle. We're part of why we face the difficulties. Sometimes sins or just mistakes or mistakes from our past can come back to haunt us. Sometimes we... Um, uh, we, we have to own our own here and now foolishness, or pride is what it is. Sometimes we have very little or nothing to do with why, though, we or those we love suffer. Sometimes we have very little to do with it, or, or nothing to do with it. Um, I've said before that, that the teachings of Scripture don't, not only do they not deny that we suffer, they don't sugarcoat that we suffer, they guarantee it. That, that's part of why I'm a Christian. I could not be a Christian um, if the Scriptures did not teach a realistic perspective on struggle, on challenge, on temptation, on trials, and on suffering. John 16, 33, back to John. You knew I was going to do that. Um, I don't know, but I mean, I know we tease about, you know, how long we were in John or whatever, but uh, that was... It was such a revolutionary time for me to get to spend that time in John. I, I just loved it. It is, it is unreal to me. I'm actually nervous about teaching something else. I so love going through John. It was, it's just been so amazing. John 16, 33 said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So it, Jesus, notice how those are not contradictory concepts. They're not canceling each other out. I've said these things to you that you may have peace. Okay, good. Oh, whew. man, I would love to have some peace. Good, because you're going to face tribulation. Doesn't that cancel out peace? No? No, take heart, I've overcome the world. Oh, okay, so you overcoming the world cancels out tribulation. No? Those are three concepts woven together. The peace that he has overcome the world is integrated into the fact that we're going to face trials and tribulations. We're going to face challenges and suffering. 
Matthew 6, 34 says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I don't know about you, but it's almost more scary to me that Jesus offhandedly assumes daily struggle. He's not canceling it. He's not getting done with it. No, no. So today we'll have enough of its own problems without worrying about tomorrow. You talk about a backhanded comforting statement, right? I'm worried about tomorrow. I'm going to suffer tomorrow. <laughs> no, don't worry about that. Believe me, you'll suffer plenty today. <laughs> like, that is not very comforting to me to go, oh, that's, that's wonderful. Yay. I don't need to worry about it. I, I was one of those kids raised by a dad who, if you complained about pain in one place, he might step on your toe and go, is your hand still hurting? No, my foot's hurting. See? Solved your hand hurting problem, right? Like this is a, that was a teachable moment for dad. It is, it is, it is extra scary to me when it's presumed trials, tests, even discipline. So discipline is essentially just trials and tests and challenges and difficulties that come from God. That he gives them to us to help us learn and grow, to teach us. No one wants discipline. By the way, the Bible readily admits that too. No one wants to be disciplined. Are you kidding? That's not fun. But he loves us enough to do it. I don't know if you guys remember when David Smalley was here, the atheist, and he and I had the conversations up here, and we went down this conversation about human suffering, and, and he ended up saying, which was my favorite moment of the evening, he ended up saying, well, honestly, okay, suffering could be kind of like going to the dentist. Your kids don't want to go to the dentist, but they need to go to the dentist. It's, it's good for them. So I can see how you guys as Christians would say, well, God loves us even though he lets us face suffering. And then he kind of went, mm, I think I just made your point for you. I was like, thank you. Yes, the defense rests. We'll move along now. Like, that was, that was well said, David. Thank you. And so, yes, that's, ex that's exactly right. Some of the suffering, and, and there's, the problem is it's so all over the map. Um, internal sourced value is of little significance to a lump of coal or a piece of marble or a canvas. A canvas can only understand itself it's a can as a canvas. It needs an artist to turn into something else. A lump of marble can only, if it could understand itself at all, at any consciousness, would understand itself as marble, not a sculpture. We need an external force to speak identity into us, to carve us and shape us and mold us into what we're intended to be. Those are, part of those come through the trials and tests and difficulties that God sends our ways or at least allows into our life. Again, they're no fun in the moment, but in the long run, they produce positive things or can produce positive things. The problem of suffering is always a hard one. Why does God allow suffering? Which part of suffering should he allow? What, when, if we were allowed to, to step in, what would we do with this? What, when we, what about when we face consequences for other people's evil or their sin or even just their foolishness? I mean, we, we pay the price a lot of times for other people's sin and problems. That's certainly true. Sometimes we just face things because this is a fallen and broken world. I mean, no one's, no one's necessarily directly in any way at fault for a tsunami who kills a bunch of people. Like, that's, that's just a, we live in a fallen and broken world, and the world follows patterns of certain rules that have been put in place, but then you add brokenness to the, the whole concept and and suffering is going to happen. This is, it's hard for us. It is always going to be a hard question because it's beyond us. In the same way that astrophysics is hard for most of us. It's a, astrophysics questions are hard ones for us because we don't know enough physics or math 
in order to answer the questions. Well, the same sort of way, suffering is going to be hard for us. The questions about suffering are going to be hard because it's beyond us. Most of us lack, would lack the education to even begin the conversation. And the, remember, the Bible maybe, arguably, one of the oldest books in the Bible, maybe the book of Job. And the book of Job begins with a man who suffers horribly for a few weeks or months of his life. Why? What was the thing about Job that allowed him to be the target of that kind of suffering? What was the trait? He was what? Righteous. Okay. So if the the defining trait of who you are is that you are righteous, if that can get you put on the block, then everything else is clearly on the table, right? Of course your own sin or other people's sin or whatever could be why you're suffering. You could literally be suffering because you're righteous and for no other reason. That is thrown out to us in one of the... What a horrible, hard thing for us to engage with. God gets it. We don't. And that's hard for us. Rather than spend a whole lot of more time on the why do I face suffering, happy to talk about it, understand we're not going to come to an easy answer. In fact, God does not um, encourage, the Scripture does not encourage easy answers to human suffering. Um, A lot of times people get shut down when they offer up easy answers, like Job's friends who try to offer up easy cause and effect relationships for suffering, and they're just wrong. They're flat wrong, and God kind of slaps them down for it. The Holy Spirit never offers easy answers. So some devout Galileans had been killed by Pontius Pilate while worshiping, literally in the act of worship and having the blood of the sacrifices that they were doing were on the ground. Pilate had them murdered so that their blood mixed with the blood of their own sacrifices. If anyone should be safe... It should be while they're doing sacrifices in the temple, right? I mean, surely God's going to protect those people. Wrong. That didn't happen. So why would God allow that? The disciples and the people around want an answer from Jesus. And Jesus does not give them an answer why. In fact, he offers up just a more random example. A tower at the Pool of Siloam fell and, was it 18 people? I think it's 18 people. I don't know if I wrote down the number. A bunch of people die from this tower falling on them. And Jesus' question to them is, do you think those people were any more or less righteous than the people who were killed? You're not going to be able to peg this. What bucket does my suffering go in? My own foolishness and sin? Somebody else's foolishness and sin? The fact that it's a broken world? The fact that I'm just righteous and therefore I suffer? The fact that other people are persecuting me? The fact that, yeah, you're not always going to know which bucket to put in. The, The best shot you've got is the one that's your own foolishness is sin. You go like, yeah, I know why this one's happening. But there's so many of the others, we don't know. And God's not going to give us an easy answer. We face judgment without warning too sometimes. So we need to repent. It's not a why. So instead, I'm going to spend a little bit of time this morning talking about the how. Because we do suffer and we do face hardship and we do face challenges. And we're going to talk about some of the things that even for us as Christians, maybe in some ways, especially for us as Christians, are hardships. The struggle is real. We really do face these. And so engaging with the why is interesting and fun. And sometimes in a case-by-case situation, we could trace back the why. But most of the time, and in a general sense, we don't. Again, and for the same reason that most of us can't do calculus. It's too hard. It's too big. It's too difficult. We don't understand all the rules, right? 
It's why all of us can't do a lot of these things. It's because they're in the same way. Suffering, the why of suffering, is a question that's too big for us at some level. But you study it, it's fascinating, but at some point, yeah. I'm not good at math, by the way. Do y'all notice I always use math examples for things that we're not going to understand? Yeah, okay. I could use the English language. Man, those of you who didn't learn it as a first language, it's no fun, is it? All right, so um, if we can't handle the why, then let's look at the how. Matthew 7, 24 says this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. When the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears the words of mine and does not do them are like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds of it blew and beat against the house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Notice They both built houses, and both the houses were just fine until a storm hit. They both were doing what they ought to do. They both built houses. They both both lived in their houses. How long did they live in their houses? And and both of them, man, the guy who built it on rocks sure looked foolish because it probably took him a lot longer to get that thing built, to get that slab level It's a lot harder than the sand. Sand levels out real easily. And so they both built houses. They both did fine. And both were doing fine until the storm came. I think that's part of why Jesus uses this example. Because the truth is, storms will come. And you may think things are great until the storm hits. And then you're going to discover where the foundation was weak or poor. Don't wait until then. We have a joke in the therapist's office on a regular basis that what happens is people come to therapy when it's raining, and then when it stops raining, when you're able to help them stop the decisions in their life that are making it rain, they're done. And you beg them, let's fix the roof while you're here. Let's not, let's not be done yet. Let's fix the roof. And they're like, no, no, things are good now. I'm like, this is because it's not raining. Rain is an inevitability. Let's fix the roof. And no, no, we're good. And just, I want to go to, this, to the office manager and go, go ahead and put their name on the calendar for eight months from now. Just, just put a, two or three sessions in a row for about six to eight months. Put them on there because they'll be back. That's how life works. Rain's coming. The storms come. These issues, emotional issues. So we're, over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about these emotional issues and conflict and issues of the flesh and addiction and busyness and rest and, and brokenness. How, instead of why, how do we face them? So here's the first answer that we looked at back a few verses ago when we were looking, and the first answer is with peace. Again, that seems contradictory, that seems ridiculous, and it is outside of the gospel. It is ridiculous. That's why the Apostle Paul refers to it as a peace that doesn't make sense, a peace that is beyond our understanding. It's a peace that, if you learned it like I did, a peace that passes understanding, a peace that transcends our ability to logically wrap our brain around it because it's not, it doesn't always make sense. This is the, we, we, here's how we define it. Seemingly contradictory, like peace is no conflict, or tranquility, or free from violence. And so one version of, of peace is the as-if version that we can experience. That though we are in the midst of those things, violence and conflict, that we are, we are living as if there wasn't. This is the lighthouse model of peace because we have such a good perspective on the actual nature of the conflict, 
we're able to live as if the conflict wasn't really there. Some of you who have been married for a while have picked up on this. Some of you haven't and need to. So one of the things for Ginger and I, when we have conflict periodically, because we're going to talk about that next week in specific conflict, is one of the things that helps is when you realize, okay, right now we're passionately in disagreement about something, but in probably about 30 minutes, maybe, maybe an hour, we're going to be fine. Right? I mean, no one's going anywhere. We're still here. So in 30 minutes, so probably me investing very much in this little 30-minute window is not wise. Me saying things that I'm going to have to deal with for days after to invest in this 30 minutes, not smart. In 30 minutes, it's going to be fine. So why continue to invest so much in the 30 minutes? I want to seek understanding. She wants to understand me better. So, and we're passionate about this, so it creates conflict. Hopefully, we walk at 30 minutes to an hour, we're going to be done. And so, you, you act as if, because you have the perspective of understanding this, you're able to engage differently. And, and then it a lot of times takes the edge off the conflict. It isn't the conflict is wrong, by the way, not even in marriage. Um, a, lot, a lot of times, it, the, the, example, the specific examples are. But that's a, that's a different conversation for next week, right? We act as, there's a version of peace we have as if the struggle isn't real. So I found a couple of pictures, one of my very, a couple of my very favorite pictures. Um, so hold on to that one for a second. So the idea of a lighthouse, lighthouses don't avoid storms. In fact, that's part of why, that's the main reason they exist, is for the midst of storms. So if you can imagine, so that's a lighthouse off the coast of France. So here's what I love. So in one of these storms, when there's a helicopter up here flying around, taking these pictures, well, the guy in the lighthouse hears the helicopter and is worried that someone's trying to come rescue him, which he didn't need. Next picture. So he comes out to check on the helicopter. <laughs> I mean, check that out, right? He's, he does, his hand, I love that his hand's in his pocket. I don't know what it is about that, like, yo. I mean, he's just totally chill. He's not worried. He's not nervous. Why would he be? He's in the midst of a horrifying storm, and yet he, he is probably experiencing quite a bit of peace. Um, and if you could sell tickets to, a, to, a, to experience a storm in the midst of that, you could probably make a fortune, right? For people to experience the safety of that, and yet in the midst of that kind of situation. And so he was literally kind of waving off the helicopter like, yeah, I don't, I don't need anything here. So, so this, this is a version of peace. Is he not in the storm? No, but he is in the storm, but his perspective is such to recognize the foundation is is safe. I'm not going anywhere. That's part of that. It's without, the other version of that, which is connected to that, is the idea of peace that is without internal violence. Internally, externally, there may be violence. Internally, there is not. Again, these are obviously connected to one another. <clears throat> Listening to this, bless, listen to the blessing of Apostle Paul. This is a boy who faced strife and turmoil all the time. He even brags about it in one of his um, letters when he's trying to help people understand he was legit and experienced this. Other people think they experience conflict and turmoil? Yeah, let's compare. So here's, here's one of his blessings in 2 Thessalonians 3.16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. What a great blessing this is. The Lord be with you all. Peace at all times in every way. That's what you're dealing with. Now, last week, um, Paul McKenzie, not the Apostle Paul, um, was introducing Philippians to you in some way. In fact, you got to experience Paul in his natural plumage, I heard, on the, uh, on the thing. He was wearing his hat and everything, T-shirt and a hat, so you could recognize him in public. 
That was really cool. I was, I was laughing about that when I was listening to the sermon there. Um, so he unpacked Philippians 2, 1 through 16 some for us. This is a key passage. Uh, now, I don't know if he did this in both services, but in the version I heard, he said, you get a shirt if you memorize the entire book of Philippians. Was that, did he say that one in here as well? So one of the hours, apparently he's, don't panic. It's just Philippians 2, 1 through 16. Then you can get a shirt. That's challenging enough for most people. 16 verses, but you can do it. We've had little kids do it left and right. So anyway, it's a great passage. It's a great foundation for how we love each other well and serve each other while we encourage everybody to memorize it. If we jump over to chapter 4, I'm going to unpack this a little bit. We'll see if we get through it or if we add it into next week. Here's what chapter 4, starting in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. What a blessing. That's what this is. Rejoice. Joy be with you, literally. As Paul said last week, this concept of rejoicing undergirds the main theme of the letter. The main theme of the letter, that the participation in the work of the gospel together, that's the main theme. That we're living this out, that our lives are immersed with the ministry of the gospel. Everything we do, that we experience peace in every way and in all things, etc. So, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Again, this language, restraint, sobriety, avoiding ridiculous reactions. Douglas Adams would say, don't panic. You can be this way because the Lord is at hand. Even in turmoil. Now listen, that doesn't mean we're not working hard. We may be working diligently hard, paddling like crazy, working our fingers to the bone. That is not contradictory. We may be facing incredible hardship, suffering at every level. Pain, unbelievable. In the midst of that, here's what we remember. The Lord is near. That may not take away the pain, but it allows internally for us to remember the lighthouse itself isn't going anywhere. This is not a trick. It's a recognition of the truth. Hardship is real, and the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, the Apostle Paul knew that the peace of Christ may not guard your body. It may. It may not. Paul experienced hardship at every turn. He was beaten. He was hit with rocks, shipwrecked, snake bit. The boy experienced all these horrible things, and he had something in his life that he begged God to take away from him time after time after time. And God said, no. Whatever the thorn in the flesh of Paul was, and there's debate on what it was, but whatever it was, as he diligently begged God to take it away from him, and finally God said, you're living with it and with my grace, and my grace is sufficient. That's the Apostle Paul who's saying this. In prison, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. It may not guard your body, but it can guard your heart. It can guard your soul. Don't give thought to, don't, and don't, don't continue to camp out on these obsessive, intrusive thoughts of fear for the future especially. Instead, talk to God about it. Worship 
supplication, thanksgiving are great antidotes to worry, fear, and anxiety. Again, engage with the God who is near. Even in regards to diagnosable anxiety and depression, where therapy is called for, where medication is called for. We'll talk about that in the next few weeks too. These, this, these simple tools are shown time and again to be powerful. Prayer, supplication, worship, service. These are powerful ways to engage with every level of struggle that we experience. We want to develop that habit, the immersion of that. What we think about, what we focus our attention on makes a big difference. That's what this passage goes on to talk about, is what we focus our attention on will have a huge amount of impact in who we are. These can create what Paul calls the peace of God. Pray and experience the peace of God. This is significant, this language. The peace of God. It's not the peace of the world. It's, it's, it's not the peace of our culture. It's not the peace of even family. It's not the peace of health, but it's the peace of God. We don't have focus when we dream, bring our attention back to him. He says this in verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Notice, instead of the things that are based in fear and lust and anger and violence, those are the things, if we, the degree to which we focus our attention on these, we should expect there to be these, these things going on in our hearts and our minds and our souls in this. Are those thoughts coming? Yes, they are. We're, we're broken and flawed. Are we going to have, are we gonna have thoughts of, of lust? Yes. Are we going to have thoughts of rage? Yes. Of, of paralyzing fear? Yes. But we don't live there as Christians. What we do is we, we, we transform our thinking. We, we go back and go, Yes, this is real. And by the way, they may be founded in totally real things. Actual suffering and struggle, actual mental illness, actual addiction. Those may be exactly what those are, are dealing with. We then focus our attention on the aspects of these things that we go, okay, what can I think about that is good here? What can I focus attention on here that is, that is filled with God's grace? What is commendable? How can I think about what is excellent this does, again, please hear me, this doesn't make what causes these necessarily go away. You may still face those challenges. You probably will. I do. Then to focus your attention over here, what you have learned, look at this, listen to this, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Look, remember what he said? The peace of God is what we're looking for. This is not accidental that the Apostle Paul does this. Practice these and What? The God of peace will be near. He's, he's not going anywhere. You draw near to him, and there he is. So the peace of God comes from, no big surprise here, the God of peace. That's, that's where we, that's how. Why? Why are you suffering? We can try to figure it out if you want to, case by case. How do we suffer? We have the freedom because there is a God of peace that we can go to and remember is with us. We can experience the peace of God to be with us. We can experience him here and now, his nearness, that he is at hand. What great language, at hand. 
right here, that close. We focus in thoughts and on him and on the things that he focuses his thoughts on. The struggle is real, <clears throat> but even when things don't change for the better, there's a peace that God that comes from the God of peace. If we cannot find peace from the storm, we may still be able to find peace in and through the storm because we have the God of peace. This is not some weird pie-in-the-sky mentality. You can hear it. That's not what we're talking about. It isn't that things won't be hard, that there won't be temptation and trials and sometimes even discipline, but it can affect how we engage with the struggle. Now, that's very heady, um, philosophical up here. I know it is. That's why we're going to unpack this over the next few weeks um, in detail with some of these things, like conflict, like emotional difficulties. Those, we're going to unpack that even further, how these play out in regards to some of those issues as well. But this is where we're going to come back to this theme. How do we face it? One of them is we face it in peace. Why? Well, because we live such easy lives. No. No, that's, sorry, that was not right. Because in the midst of facing challenges, there is a peace of God that comes from the God of peace who we get to relate to. Let's pray to him. Father, thank you. You're a God of peace. And we could use some peace. Um, God, sometimes our own foolishness, our own lack of discipline, our own whatever, um, we don't stop and pay attention. We're too busy. We're too focused. And there's a lot of wonderful blessings in this world. Our time with our families and making memories and all of that is wonderful. And I thank you. I am so grateful for the opportunity to go and do, to experience and to 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 get to do stuff with our families at home and abroad. And, and Lord, I thank you that we get opportunities to be involved in your ministry, like in Dulos, where we can impact eternity. God, we find great joy in those things. But even in the midst of those things, even in the midst of the good things that you give us to do, a lot of times there's struggle and suffering. Anytime there's people, it's going to be hard. We're just hard. We're hard to deal with and we're hard to love. And we don't, we don't really like sacrificing very much, and we, we really don't like telling ourselves no to very much. And, and um, Father, we are filled with pride and ignorance and a lack of self-awareness, and we know this, Lord. That's why we came to you in the first place and why we're so proud that as lost and sick people, you, have, you sent your Son to come and save us. Thank you, Father, that we get that opportunity to answer the call of your son. And I pray that that won't just be something that we did, but it's something that we do all the time. That we call out to him, that we focus on him, or we look to you, the God of peace. I pray, Father, that you would fill our lives and when not our lives, our minds and our hearts with the peace that comes from you. Pray this in your son's name.